A recent question we got from a member is, why don't we do certain exercises like Olympic lifts, kettlebell swings, and barbell push press? Today we're talking about why we don't do it, what some alternatives are, and our thought process and the Pratt philosophy, how we keep our members safe. But first, before we talk about the exercise risk-reward scale, we're going underrated, overrated. My overrated is Uber drivers who talk. So I get in an Uber, and this guy goes, hey, how are you? I was like, well, I'm in an Uber, so <laughs> not great. Would rather be in a private jet. How do you think I am? I have a small trip to prioritize my tasks and look at my to-do list, and you want to talk to me about how your day is going. You want to learn about me. We're only going to be together for a few minutes, and then it's, then it's over, uh, like most of my relationships. Cut that. Um <laughs> Yeah. The kid finally put to put the video up, and now we gotta cut it. And <laughs> all right, <laughs> and Uber. restart the episode. Uber drivers want to talk about to me about keto or their diets. I'm like, let's just get to where we're going, and I can headphone in peace. All right, I respect that, and I think a lot of people would agree with you, but I disagree. Mm. I think Uber. Uh, I, I love talking to Uber drivers. I believe it. I think I think it's fascinating. I'm like, what got you into this? What made you do this as a second job? Or some people do it like 80 hours a week. I think the Uber job thing is super fascinating. I would have potentially done it back in the day. Yeah. I could see myself driving around all day just talking to people, having fun, good conversations, oh, yeah. trying to talk to people who don't want me to talk to them. Right. But uh, my underrated for this week, midsection measurements. Ooh. Never really bought into this. I'm like, you know, it's it's just it's too complicated. People aren't going to do it consistently enough. They're going to forget. They're going to find it annoying. But in having someone do this recently, they lost three pounds but an inch and a half off of their waist. Yep. I'm like, wow, that is, that's great. That's a great metric for us to use to show that we are making body composition improvements, even with minimal weight loss. So big ups to midsection measurements. Photos and midsection measurements by far are the best way to tell if you're losing fat versus just losing weight. And if you want to look better, focus on losing fat, which might not always mean losing weight, but if you want to just change your gravitational pull versus the earth, then you can focus on just weight. Midsection measurements will guarantee that you'll look better versus just weighing less. All right. So the question that we got of why don't we do Olympic lifts, kettlebell swings, barbell push press, some of these higher skill, higher velocity type movements. Why is it we don't do those, James? Yeah, and over the years, there have been a lot of other examples on exercises that, why don't we do these? Why why can't I have one of these in my program? And Pratt in the past, we would essentially put any exercise in that we thought was a good fit, and we were confident enough that we would all coach it very well. But we're at a point now where we're, we're, let's reflect back on all the exercises that we do give to members. And then now we're creating an exercise menu of exercises that we actually put on that we think have a very high benefit for our members and a very low risk. And then the question in particular was Olympic lifts, kettlebell swings, barbell push press, some of the more exercises that are considered a little bit more on the uh, the badass spectrum. Yeah, you may you may experience them if you walk into a gym that rhymes with bras pit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think if, if you're going to invest the time in the technicalities of these exercises, I think they, there's benefit to doing some of these things, especially from an athletic perspective. To be clear, we do Olympic lifts with a lot of our athletes who have the prerequisite range of motion 
and have learned the technicalities of the exercise quickly. We do not do it with a lot of the adult population because of the same reason. A lot of them don't have the range of motion. A lot of them don't understand the technicalities of it. And it may not be the best time investment to spend weeks of learning how to do an exercise when we could have actually just given you exercises that induced the adaptation that you were chasing anyway. So exercises like Olympic lifts, kettlebell swings, and barbell push press in our meetings where we're talking about this at the end of the quarter, we'll evaluate the exercise menu. We'll talk about what belongs on it and what does not. And the biggest question that we ask ourselves in this meeting is what exercises give all of our members or the majority of our members a very high benefit and a very low risk of getting hurt or being in pain. So what is our highest benefit to risk ratio of all these exercises that are on the menu? And every single quarter, it seems like we're getting rid of a couple more that say, you know what, like a few members have been doing this exercise this quarter and they were complaining of this or complaining of that. Is this worth keeping on here? And it's created some really good conversation and a really good thought process and mindset from our training staff standpoint. I have a personal story. I started in the fitness industry owning a CrossFit gym. That was my first exposure to the fitness industry 10 years ago. And my shoulders always hurt. I went to an, I signed up for an Olympic lifting coach who taught me how to snatch and clean the two lifts. And I spent months trying to learn these lifts and was constantly in shoulder pain because my anthropometrics or the shape of my body and my range of motion, no matter how many drills I did or how much technique and skill I did, these exercises just did not fit my body. And the reality is I did not want to compete in a sport, especially in the sport of fitness. I just thought these things were cool. But once I pulled those out and started doing normal dumbbell squats, dumbbell bench press, I got better results, I wasn't hurt anymore, and that led me to the world of a lot of the stuff that most of our trainers have been informed by, this very physical therapy, functional training-inspired strength training, like you said, that's very high benefit-to-risk ratio, which is somewhat what brought me here anyways. So. Yeah, the, uh, the, the cleans and the push presses, those are something I've done since high school, probably until about five or six years ago. I always liked them. I did them throughout my playing career and then being kind of like a higher velocity, but still load inducing exercise. And like I said before, we still do them with our athletes. They are on the athlete exercise menu. Uh, kettlebell swings too. I think once you're competent at those, I think they're a great conditioning tool. I don't know if they're one of the best exercises to induce a good amount of muscular adaptation and like stimulate the glutes as much as some people probably say. Uh, but overall, could be a great conditioning tool. Uh, Olympic lifts, they're fun. They're exciting. The the advanced technicalities of it, I think, is what makes some people bias wanting to do them because it's fun to learn a new skill. And uh, these are exercises that are probably way more so of a, uh, a have way more so of a skill requirement versus a uh, I guess a a hypertrophy or cardiovascular inducing um, advantage if you will. And we're both getting older. So for me at 37, you at 34, we're wanting to find things, at least for me, as I start to get older into my 40s, and we have most many members in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the goal is no longer how badass can I be, but it's how can I stay out of pain and look better, 
feel good and be able to live an active life, live life to the fullest. That's the goal. And we keep that in mind, not what is going to look cool on social media if you're into that kind of thing, but more so what's going to keep you in the game of life. Yeah, 100%. I think something we'll both sign off on is time investment in the gym. It's like if I'm going to be in here for an hour to 75 minutes, I probably don't want to spend 15 to 20 minutes working on the technique or having to warm up multiple joints to perform this one exercise. Um, so I think that's a big part of it too, is for our members, if we wanted to do some of these exercises, we would have to spend a lot of time and effort coaching them up on it. And, uh, our training staff actually loves teaching some of these more complicated exercises, but it just ends up being a bad time investment for the clients and the members that are only here from one to three hours per week. So something that we probably need to know going into this is uh, when we're going to give people exercises, we're going to design a program for our members, we need to know what their range of motion is like. So when we first do our starting point session, we'll see how you bend at the ankles, knees, and hips by having you do a bodyweight hip hinge and bodyweight squat. We'll see how you do it on one leg in a split squat scenario and a single leg hip hinge. We'll have you balance on one leg. And we'll have you reach your arms overhead. And that gives us a decent amount of information of what your range of motion is. Now, if you're going to do an exercise with weight, and that exercise takes you outside of your natural range of motion without weight, it probably starts to stem a little bit more along the lines of being risky versus benefit. So the easiest example for this is the shoulder press in that if you were to lift your arm completely overhead, we would consider that to be 180 degrees. The arm moves from down at your side and it goes all the way forward and then all the way up in a half circle formation and that's 180 degrees. Very few people have the capability of getting their shoulder to 180 degrees without some sort of compensation somewhere. They'll either bend the knees forward or they'll arch their back backwards. Or if they have weight, they'll just not bring the dumbbell directly over top of the shoulder. It'll, it'll stay a little bit more forward relative to where their shoulder is. So those are potential uh, problematic positions to be in when lifting a weight overhead. So if you'll notice, there's a lot of people that we don't necessarily have do shoulder press. And even our machine that we have upstairs is somewhat angled more on an incline instead of being directly overhead. Right. And for the shoulder specifically, one core principle we have here is we want you to always use and feel your muscles not your joints. Mm. So if you are pushing into a range of motion that you don't own or that when we do an assessment we see, you can only raise your arm up halfway from straight out in front of you to all the way up. If that's 180 degrees, I'm at about 150 degrees. I would argue most people are around there. They're missing around 30 degrees of full shoulder flexion, which is normal. Doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. You're a normal human. And so we want to find exercises that will fit and allow you, allow you to feel your muscles work, which will keep you healthy and keep your joints happy versus moving through something like ligaments or tendons, which may not ha be, have an immediate uh, injury risk, but over time is not optimal from a joint health perspective. 100%. Another good example of that would be flat-footed squatting in that your ankle has to bend to a pretty significant degree, around 40 degrees or so. And uh, if you can't do that, then it just makes more sense to use a heel wedge, which you guys all see. We do that with just about everybody. Uh, another thing that we have to take into consideration is how easy is it for the member to learn the exercise? If the exercise is very complicated and we'll have to spend a lot of time learning and it's potentially going to be done poorly in that spectrum of first being introduced 
to doing it really well, then it might not make a ton of sense for us to program an exercise that will take six to 12 weeks to do really well. Um, and when they're doing it for the first time, it might be something that we could teach them, but now we have to make sure that they're doing it well every time after that. So if it's an exercise that's more challenging to repeat on a consistent basis, then that's also an exercise that might not make the exercise menu that we don't necessarily want in our program. Uh, there's also the miscommunication sometimes with members who have been doing an exercise for a bunch of weeks, and then they alter their technique, let's say four or five or even six weeks into their program, and then a trainer will correct them, and then the member will say, oh, well, I've been doing this incorrectly then for the last four or five or six weeks, when actually they're just doing an exercise that has enough technical variability that if they do one thing a little bit different, they're unaware that they were actually doing it correctly the last four weeks. But on week five, they had this minor tweak to their technique. And because of that, we now need to make a correction. And because we made the correction, the members think they've been doing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> so in summary for that, the higher skill exercises is hard to learn, hard to teach, which ultimately takes away from everyone in the session's experience. And finally, hard to feel like you're getting right. Yeah, 100%. An example of this, uh, an easy one is front squats, which you guys probably don't see us do a ton again with our uh, adult population. We do some with our athletes, but your wrist has to get into like a really challenging position. The elbows have to get all the way forward. You have to be able to flex a decent amount at the shoulder. You have to keep an upright torso. You have to sit your butt all the way down. And there's a lot of technical uh pieces to this exercise in comparison to a hack squat where we just have you stand in the machine, put your feet in the right place, and then bend your knees and go all the way down. There's nothing else that you have to uh, focus on to perform that exercise adequately. And we're targeting the same musculature predominantly. So why add all these moving parts and make it more complicated than it has to be when the goal is to provide a good lower body strength exercise. Hey man, I'm fired up about this one because the <laughs> hack squat is technology. If you if you don't like if you prefer front squat over hack squat, you might as well come to the gym on a horse and wagon. <laughs> and you y'all should see the the in in come July 21st, the hack squat <laughs> oh, that we've wow. got coming is oh, like wow. Elon Musk's starship. Wow. We're hyping it up. All right, I've, I've, I've gone too there far. There we go. Yeah, well well, well now everyone's <laughs> We're, we're trying to we're trying to reduce the expectations as much as possible for this new gym setup come July. But now it's like a rocket ship. Now there's, <laughs> now there's your gains will go to Mars. Oh jeez, uh, it's he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, other examples of this are in discussing other topics. Uh, high benefit cardio. If the goal of cardio is to get your heart rate up easily, then doing burpees might not be a great exercise mm. if that is the goal. Uh, we may be, if we're doing a burpee, we're dropping down to our arms, we have impact on our wrist, elbow, shoulders, and then we jump our feet back, we flex our spine to bring our feet back up, and then we jump off both feet, land on both feet. It just doesn't seem to be an incredibly efficient exercise for the adult population specifically. And if the goal is to get our heart rate up, we could probably just jump on a piece of equipment that doesn't have a lot of impact, like our skill mill, resisted walking, or the bike or even the rower or skier. There's not a lot of impact going on in those exercises, and it's pretty easy to perform repetitively to actually execute the goal of having a high heart rate. Uh, a burpee just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense when compared to the other things. Unless you're in an empty room with absolutely zero equipment, 
I'd probably make the case that you might as well just run in place anyway instead of burpees. Many members have commented on how much they appreciate your and the business's willingness to overinvest in equipment. And as someone who recently redesigned the gym, I can tell you it's not cheap. But again, same thing. Why would you, if, if, if we're putting all this money and investment into these awesome machines, like the skill mill is probably the most expensive piece of cardio equipment out there, but between that, the rower, the bike, the ski, these are fantastic pieces of equipment that can keep you, again, using your muscles, not your joints, and really work your heart and cardiovascular system and lungs in the right way and, and target the things that you want to target uh, versus sort of spreading it. So I've always said, buck furpees. <laughs> Uh, and I thought you were paying for all the equipment. There was a miscommunication there. Yeah, we, we <laughs> financed the, uh, it. I guess you'll you'll have to move back to Texas. Right. In regards to strength training, the biggest thing that we want to do here is challenge the muscles that are being used. We want it to also be difficult for you to cheat or compensate. And we don't want to put you in vulnerable positions. So a couple of examples here are, let's use the machine overhead press again because we mentioned it earlier. But when you jump on the machine overhead press, you're in a seated position. Your back is up against the pad and all you have to do is move the arms upward and then back down. Very simple. But if you were to choose a barbell push press, which if you're not familiar, that's with the barbell resting a little bit underneath your chin. You should be in a semi front squat ish position. You're going to use the legs to bend and then initiate the push of the barbell. As the barbell starts to move upwards, you're going to finish off that motion with the arms. Uh, but probably is this not only a little bit disadvantageous from a muscular activity standpoint of the target musculature, but also... Uh, there's a lot of moving parts of the barbell push press that you could see even took me longer to describe. And we, if we have all these moving parts, but the goal is to stimulate upper body musculature, why wouldn't I put you in the safer environment where we could push maximally on the machine overhead press in comparison to have a barbell integrate the legs, have you need to balance the barbell overhead, have you know exactly what type of timing and synchronization of the lower body and how that's incorporated into the exercise? Uh, but all that being said, it just seems like the machine overhead press would probably be a better option for those of for those members that can get their arms high enough. Another core principle we have is we want to make exercises hard to do or easy to do the right thing and almost impossible to do the wrong thing as much as possible. And so we want it to be difficult to cheat or compensate in order to, again, keep you feeling good, keep your joints feeling good and out of pain. Amen. And that's all we have for today. Boom. Peace.